0: And this is entitled Freedom in Christ and Paul emphasises what freedom in Christ means. Galatians chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await, through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching the circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other.
1: With a name like Angus and Red Hair, you'd expect that he might be Scottish. Uh, But he's not Scottish and actually his hair is more strawberry blonde than red. But uh, his favourite movie genre is Scottish Freedom Fighter Films. Scottish Freedom Fighter Films. And that's all the accent that I'm going to give you this morning because it doesn't matter where the accent starts. It always very quickly ends up sounding Pakistani. Could be British, French, Siri from the iPhone, my best Johannesburg, doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> three sentences later, it always sounds like downtown Karachi. So no more accent, accents. But there have been some uh, great Scottish Freedom Fighter Films. Um, so you might have seen uh, Rob Roy based on the classic novel by Sir Walter Scott, a very fetching Liam Neeson in all his Highlander garb. But nothing says Scottish freedom fighter films more than Braveheart. And I know that already you're thinking of that iconic scene where the ragamuffin collection of Highlanders are standing there on the battlefield at Stirling and they're quivering with fear at the approaching legion of English soldiers And they're about to turn and go home until Mel Gibson, of course, William Wallace, saunters up and spurs his horse along the front of the Scottish line to deliver that speech. Fight, and you may die. Run, and you will live, at least for a while. And dying in your bed many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day till that for one chance just one chance to come back here as young men and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, they will never take our freedom. And all the Highlanders roar and all the people in the cinema roar and you just feel like going out on the Corso and picking a fight or something like that, that kind of a moment. Because the idea of freedom is captivating. Uh, it's an uplifting, a lossy kind of thought. It just sounds good, don't you reckon? But freedom means different things to different people. See, when I was younger, nothing meant freedom more than getting my driver's license and borrowing my dad's car and cruising down to Mona Vale with the windows down and the radio up. But as we get older, our desire for freedom takes on a different hue. So uh, we just like to be free from mortgage repayments or or the drudgery of everyday routine, and making the school lunches, doing the school run, going to work for pretty ordinary bosses, pretty ordinary companies. Or maybe we'd love to actually be free from an ongoing illness or chronic pain or just a body that doesn't quite work the way that it should. Freedom can mean many things. So the question for today is what does gospel freedom mean? As believers in Jesus, as adopted children of God, what are we free from and what are we free for? We're a fair way into our study of this New Testament letter to the Galatian Christians and we have seen so far that it really is all about the gospel, the good news that by faith we can be declared right by God because of what Jesus did in his life and in his death. And we've seen that it changes everything. It actually does mean we can be right with God and it means we can be his children It means we are heirs of all the promises that he has made. And it means that we've already been given the spirit of Christ, God living in us, the spirit by which we passionately cry out to God as Father, Abba, Father, Dad. But the gospel gives us freedom. It gives us gospel freedom. What does that mean precisely? Well, that's the question for today. So firstly for today, uh, we need to see that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And and it's worth just hearing those great words from the Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' special spokesmen, to the Galatian Christians and to us in verse 1, which I hope is open there in front of you. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You look at that and you think it's a simple kind of sentence, but it really summarises the whole argument of the previous two chapters. Jesus' life and his death was not spent to keep us in slavery. It was lived and it was lost to redeem us from slavery, or in other words, to buy us our freedom. Before the coming of Christ, we were slaves, either slaves to the Old Testament law, by which we thought we just had to try really, really hard to keep in order to be loved and accepted by God, Well, we were slaves, it says in chapter 4, verse 3, to the basic principles of this world. Just that general idea that we have, that we have to measure up to some kind of standard in order to be worthy of God and worthwhile as people. Either way, to the Old Testament law or to the basic worldly principle of just trying to measure up, we were slaves. Great news is, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so in the back half of this book of Galatians, uh, sorry, back half of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tries to illustrate this point from the famous Old Testament family. He's saying to the Galatians, and you might remember they were being influenced by false preachers, that they needed to love Jesus and keep Old Testament traditions in order to be saved and loved by God. He's saying to them, look, if you love your Old Testament so much, why don't you listen to it? Like seriously, if you're that obsessed with Abraham the greatest figure of the Old Testament, why not heed the lesson from his family? So if you remember, God promised Abraham, though he was old and had a barren wife, a son, offspring, legacy, a family beyond himself. And you might remember that because Isaac, the son from the promise, was a long time coming, Abraham took things into his own hands, so to speak, and he had a son through his maidservant, Hagar. And she was really his slave. And that may have been socially acceptable in that culture, but it was a great act of unbelief and it was a classic example of human striving rather than trusting in God's promise of the Son. And so the Apostle Paul does a little bit of gymnastics with the story of Abraham and he treats that story, though it was literal, as an allegory, which is not okay to do generally, Unless you are an apostle, and unless you say that that's what you're doing, which is what he says in 4 verse 24, he says these things may be taken figuratively. These two mothers, they figuratively represent two ways of operating. On one hand you have Hagar, the slave mother, and she represents human effort, human striving, the Old Testament law that was given at Mount Sinai, the Jerusalem of the day that was filled with people trying to be right and acceptable to God by keeping Old Testament laws she represents slavery. But the free mother, Sarah, she represents people of freedom, people who aren't forever working and never quite gaining love and acceptance by God because of their efforts. She represents people of promise who know they're accepted through their faith in God. And Paul is saying to the Galatians and to us, he's really saying, look, who's your mama? Who's your mother? And what's she like? Generally, it seems to me the most offensive thing you can say to someone is to insult their mother. I know it's Father's Day, but I think that's the most offensive thing. And even the hardest of men will take offense. They'll say, listen, you can say whatever you like about me, but you better not say anything about my mum. And you think, well, that's fair enough too. But um, in African-American culture, they've sort of subverted that idea and they've turned it into a bit of a game between friends of one-upmanship of pretend insults about their mothers. So somebody might start, your mum is so dumb she tripped over a cordless phone, right? Pretty lame joke, but it's got to start somewhere. The next friend thinks he's got to do something better. So he'll say something like, well, your mum is so mean she made a Happy Meal cry, okay? And then the first friend has to kind of up it again. You know, your mum is so nasty that even Hello Kitty says goodbye. And, you know, it might go on and it generally deteriorates from there. Uh, But that's kind of the joke that I've turned it into. Who's your mother? What's she like? But seriously, right here the Apostle Paul is saying to the Galatian Christians, well, actually, who is your mother? And what is she like? If you really want to be under the law, he says, chapter 4, verse 21, then your mama is Hagar, and you are a slave. And in verse 30, be reminded, the slave woman's children don't have a share in the inheritance. No, chapter 4, verse 31, he says, if we're Christians, we're not figuratively children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Why, Galatians, would you ever be tempted to go back into the slavery of obeying the Old Testament law for your salvation? Why would you be tempted to rely on your own moral efforts for your salvation? Don't you know it's the children of the free woman who get a share in the inheritance? Who is your mother? And what is she like? Is she free? Because it's for freedom that Christ set you free. Secondly then for today, the Apostle Paul says we need to stand firm. We need to stand firm in our freedom, not letting ourselves be burdened again by slavery. Have a look in verse 1 in your Bibles are up here on the screen. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves Be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Positively, stand firm in your freedom. Negatively, do not let yourself be burdened by slavery. And really the next 12 verses are an expansion on that basic encouragement of standing firm and don't let yourselves be burdened by slavery. As we have seen throughout this book, the Galatian Christians were being told by some false preachers called Judaizers, it's good to believe in Christ, but... They also needed to keep Old Testament traditions in order to be saved and loved and accepted by God. And as strange as that might sound to our ears, the rite of circumcision was kind of a lightning rod. It was sort of the litmus test or the tangible symbol that you were doing just that, keeping the Old Testament traditions. And I don't know how they checked if you were faking it, but that was the deal. And so the Apostle Paul says to the Galatians there in verse 2, If you let yourself be circumcised, Christ is nothing. No value to you. He says if you rely on keeping one part of the Old Testament law in order to be right with God, you've got to keep it all, man. You've got to be perfect. You can't just pick and choose the bits that you want to obey, the bits that you like. And if you try to rely on your efforts and your striving and your obedience, then you aren't relying on Jesus. And have a look in verse 4 there. It says you have alienated yourself from Christ. And some versions say you've severed yourself from Christ which is an interesting choice of words when we're talking about circumcision. Maybe the Galatians were being persuaded that keeping the Old Testament laws and getting circumcised was like an add-on insurance policy that would just give them the extra peace of mind that they needed. You know, you trust in Jesus but it's safer to trust in Jesus and to make an effort yourself, don't you think? No, not at all, says Paul. It doesn't work that way. Trusting in your own efforts, whether it's keeping religious traditions like circumcision, that sounds odd to us, or just striving for whatever standard of moral goodness that you settle on, which is common for us, is not an additional insurance policy and it doesn't give added peace of mind. The Apostle Paul says it's slavery and it alienates us and severs us from Christ. Now, for those of you uh, who are in kind of finance, banking, business world, as I understand it, uh, the traditional concept of the hedge fund uh, is that you would take capital, you'd take funds from a number of investors and you'd invest it in a wide range of markets and securities and investments and other financial instruments and you'd use a wide range of investment styles ranging from the super conservative to the quite risky. So you have lots of investors and you have lots of investments and you'd have lots of strategies, and you'd spread the risk, and it should be more safe that way. Now, one of the things that we've worked out is that it doesn't always work out like that in finance. Did you know that it never works out like that with God? You either try humanly, trusting your own efforts, religious, moral, whatever they are, in order to be right with God, or you trust in Jesus, and the life he lived for us, and the death he died for us. And there's no middle ground, And there's no foot in both camps. We trust in Christ and its freedom. And we're received into his family as sons and heirs. And we are given his spirit. Or we trust in ourselves and in our own striving and in our own efforts, which the Apostle Paul has consistently called slavery. So people work it out, what will it be for you? And if you think I'm getting a bit excited and excitable, I'm really just trying to channel some of the emotion of the Apostle Paul in this chapter. I mean, he's exasperated with the Galatian Christians, who we learnt in chapter 4 received him with a warm welcome and his gospel with great joy at first. But but can't you hear the mixture of confusion and pain in his voice in verse 7? You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? And even though he can express some confidence in verse 10 that they'll see their error and turn back to Jesus, you can sense his anxiety that they're going astray. There's anxiety and exasperation for these young Christians whom he loves. When it comes to these false teachers and preachers that have worked their way in among them, he's on a full frontal assault. Listen to what he says in verse 8. You're not from God. He says in verse 10 they will pay the penalty that their perverted teaching deserves. Famously he says in verse 12 if they're so into circumcision why don't they do it properly and cut the whole thing off? And a happy Father's Day to you too, right? So forgive me for getting excitable but Paul is excited here and he's anxious and he's exasperated and he's perplexed and he's rightly angry because the gospel is at stake. The inheritance we have as free sons and daughters as on the line. The whole idea of stand firm is actually an excitable military idea that combines the actions of keeping alert and being strong and resisting attack and sticking together. So that, that picture of the Braveheart thing is not an inappropriate mental picture. And we, like the Galatians, are so easily prone to slip back into the slavery of relying on our own efforts to be right before God, of relying on human striving to obtain acceptance before God, of just hoping that we're good enough to be loved by God, when all along the Apostle Paul says, it's by faith that we are loved and accepted by God. It's by trusting Christ that we are part of his family and have a share in his inheritance. If you're ever wondering whether you're sliding slowly back into slavery, ask yourself some questions about why you do what you do. Is obedience for you just about avoiding major sins, especially those ones that look really bad before other people? Well, that's slavery living. Or is obedience for you about growing in Christ-like behaviour out of joy, in God and just gratitude for his unceasing and unconditional love well that's sun living and that's freedom thinking I mean is God more like a CCTV camera just watching out for you to sin or is he a heavenly dad who's just waiting to hear the cries of your soul stand firm in your freedom we're children of the free woman and don't let yourselves be burdened again by slavery Here's an interesting thing about the film Braveheart that most people forget. There's an Irish character called Stephen. He's just to the right of Mel Gibson in this picture and he's a little bit mad. Uh, and he's hooked up with the Highlanders just because he's really attracted to the idea of killing Englishmen. That's, that's what he's interested in. And once um, Wallace has finished um, delivering that rousing speech that I shared with you earlier, Stephen leans over on his horse and he says, Nice speech. Now what do we do? And Wallace replies, well, just be yourselves. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And you think, nice speech. Now what do we do? And the truth is, really, we, we actually just be ourselves. Or to put it another way, and thirdly for today, we have freedom to serve. Not freedom to indulge the sinful nature, but freedom to serve. Uh, let's see how he describes it in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. You know, so far today we've been thinking about what the Galatians, what we've been freed from, and we've been freed from the need to do and to try and to work in order to be saved and accepted by God and welcomed into his family as sons and heirs. We've just been freed from relying on our efforts. Whether they've got a Jewish flavour or not, to secure our salvation. And we've been reminded again that it's because of Jesus' efforts, not because of our efforts, that we've been given the Holy Spirit by whom we cry out to God as Father. Now that's what we've been freed from. What have we been freed for or freed to? Well, he says, for loving service rather than sinful living. So far we've talked about not losing gospel freedom now we're talking about not abusing gospel freedom because it is possible isn't it to think that once we're free from being under the law it's a complete free for all and we can do whatever we want without regards to God or anyone really. Now I used to see this all the time when I was a youth minister especially with what our young people did with alcohol because they knew, they were good kids right? they knew that it was inappropriate to drink alcohol before they turned 18 because it was against the law of the land at least that's what they told me. But when they turned 18, they just thought it was a free-for-all. They could drink all they wanted without regards to other people. They thought that that because they had been under the law, but now they were free from the law, they could do whatever they wanted. And so they did whatever they wanted. And we had to go to some controversial measures to get them to understand that freedom didn't equal a free-for-all. And especially they had to consider other people before they touched a drop. Being free from the Lord does not mean it's a free-for-all. Don't use your freedom, he says, to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And here's a really cool, I think, and beautiful thing. Only once we're freed from all our work of trying to justify ourselves and earn our way into God's favour, are we actually able to direct free efforts of service to God and to others out of love when we thought somewhere in the deep recesses of our heart that our works saved us we served God only for what we could get out of it, our salvation served him selfishly but once we trust in Christ and we know that Christ's life and death saves us we can serve God because we love him in other words we serve not to earn a place in the family but because we already have a secure place in the family what do we do now as parts of God's family? Well, we just be ourselves, really. Children of the Father, serving Him and one another in love. So we are free from the law and we're free from obedience as a way to earn salvation. But we still obey God and we serve others for a completely, a completely different reason now. And that's because we love Him. That's why Paul says in verse 6, that in Christ circumcision or uncircumcision has no value the thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love and the more we understand and love the gospel the more obedience just becomes a natural overflow of a child's heart as we stand in captivated and delighted awe at the beauty and the wonder of our heavenly father isn't that right? isn't that fantastic? as we finish up brothers and sisters what are we going to do? Well if we're going to cut with the grain of the passage we've got to make sure we're going to stand firm not let ourselves be burdened again by slavery and you might have been coming into this building for years and if you thought you were a Christian because of your efforts to be good you really must see that it's by faith that we are Christians and it's much more about what Jesus has done for us than what we do for him. But for those of us who are Christians and who don't yet serve, we're going to start serving, aren't we? As a free act of faith expressing itself in love. And I'm really looking forward to people becoming more engaged and passionate about service. And we're going to talk more about that in turn four. But I personally can't wait to see more and more brothers and sisters serving in alignment with their gifts and with the needs here in things like mini mats and and kids' church and small groups and the open door and big ways and small ways in our church and into the community. It is so exciting, I think. If you've been called for freedom, as all Christians have, and you're not already serving, then the word for you today is to serve one another in love. And if you don't know where you could serve, come and talk to me. I'm sure I can find a place. But it's true, folks. The, the true test of freedom is not willful independence. The true test of Christian freedom, gospel freedom, is faith expressing itself in love. Now if you do already serve, then the word for you today is to serve one another and God out of love and in freedom. I want to applaud you and sincerely and genuinely thank you for your service, but I do encourage you, us all really, to test our hearts so that we don't start relying on our service for our standing before God and acceptance by Him good question to ask yourself is this. Is my service motivated by love for God and love for others because I have been so served by him? Even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for me. Or is my service somewhere deep down here a way that I rack up brownie points before God? Or a way that somehow in a small fashion I pay him back or perhaps even more twistedly I try to put him back in my debt The good question is to ask a telltale sign is when you start to feel morally superior to other people who don't serve or don't serve in the same ways or don't serve as much as you test your hearts brothers and sisters so that you serve out of love and freedom Well, as we finish up, gospel freedom means that we are free from the law, free from relying on our own slavish efforts to win God's favour. But gospel freedom also means we're free to something, free for something, free to serve him and one another in love, not to earn a place in the family, but because we already have a place in the family so that we can just be ourselves. And I'm going to pray that we do that right now, so why don't you join me? pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the Lord Jesus who bought us our freedom when he died in our place on the cross for our sins, redeeming us from that. Uh, and Lord, forgive us for the times when we have sought to earn our favour and, and relied on our own efforts for our acceptance by you. We want to be people who stand firm, Lord God. So help us to do that. We also want to be people who serve you and one another out of love and freedom. So help us to do that. In Jesus' name and for His glory, we pray. Amen. Do you want this?